going to dance. We're going to dance. We're going to dance and have some fun. Dig. my peeps. So <laughs> I finished the episode and I just went to find that picture of me when I was three, three and a half, uh, to put on the cover because has a child ever looked more like a poster child of trauma? Um, it's been a long time since I've looked at that and it immediately made me cry. Because the older I get and the more I heal and the more distance I have and the more children I am around and the more stories I hear and the more my mind expands and my consciousness, the more I look at that picture and I think, how did nobody see it? How did nobody do anything about it? And then I think about all of the children who are living in dire circumstances. I'm not even talking about your basic run-of-the-mill abuse at this point. I'm just talking about things like not having a secure home, not always having food, being surrounded by adults who are trying to survive, and so they're probably not in the best mental state. And I know we all have to be able to sleep at night and go about our business during the day, but I see that and I see that little girl and I know I need to do more. I don't know exactly what the more is and I keep trying. Maybe it's healing people that are adults so that they can be there more for their children and other people's children, but Damn, you guys. Anyway, here's my healing moment, and I hope that it helps some of you. And like I said, there really isn't any trigger warning here necessary unless your trigger is hearing me talk about how poor and messed up my childhood was for uh, my uh, early life 
for my upbringing and how that affected me through my life. None of it is, uh, you know, extreme events or anything like that. It's just, here's how I was viewed and that persisted until I was an adult and I climbed my way out of it. So I hope this helps some of you as well. And I love you so much. And uh, I promise the next episode will be a little bubblier. Oi. Hello, Galactic Groovers. It is Andrea Land, your grieving goddess again. I have a few wonderful interviews with people to get edited and published. But uh, I had an interesting experience this last week with having some PTSD triggers, some uh, difficulty in relationship with someone, but it revealed a very deep wounding that goes back to pretty much being born that I hadn't really addressed at all and didn't even know was there and needed to be looked at. I had a situation where somebody said some things to me which <clears throat> triggered some really deep-seated childhood stuff and part of the reason and don't worry there's no trauma warning here I don't think uh, but I think part of the reason that it was so buried is that my way of dealing with it and going through my life and sort of overcoming it, if there was something to overcome in the first place, really, um, was all 3D based and I had done all the things and sort of gotten myself to the point where intellectually um, and on a material human experience reality level I knew that um, I was past this thing and I was not in this place anymore in my life so <clears throat> I didn't realize until this other person triggered that wound for me um, which, you know, sometimes people come in our lives and we mirror things for each other. And that's the whole reason they're there. They may not even be there to be someone who's in your life for a long time. It may just be that you were meant to activate this healing for each other uh, through relationships. So at any rate, um, when it happened, holy shnikes, you guys, I just... Um, I've made a pretty, I've talked about PTSD before, right? And so there's disassociation and there are different states of that adrenaline response that happen. Most people think of, um, fight or flight, but there's also freeze and fawn. Um, and for me, uh, this was a freeze and I have not at least been consciously aware, you know, usually in the past, my triggers would be something more obvious, you know, 
um, based on the really severe traumas that I had in my young life. And I think sometimes when we have heaps of that, heaps of things which were obviously awful, and it's very clear what the triggers of that are going to be, there's other stuff that just kind of gets missed or left in the corner because it wasn't as dramatic or uh, intense or isn't really talked about as being something that is a wound or a sadness. I had the pleasure of recording with Owen Hunt of Blue Collar Mystics yesterday, which uh, his episode should be up in a few weeks. And it was a very great conversation. And through the course of that conversation, this came up again a little bit, this topic. And um, it made me realize, you know, and part of what he said is, we're all blue collar mystics for the most part. And it is true. Um, but because that came up again, I thought, yeah, you know, I think I just need to talk about this. Um as part of my processing and probably as part of activation for other people to let go of this wound, which I'm pretty certain is not only mine. I'd be willing to bet there's a lot of us who have it and don't even really think about it um, because we're not encouraged to. We are very much encouraged in our current and past social structure to have the whole bootstrap mentality and just suck it up and deal. So, and then once you get, you know, past or beyond whatever that thing is, you're just not expected to ever think about it again. So, trying to think, figure out the best way to launch into this. Uh, basically, the, the, precipitating words had to do with somebody's family accepting me or not accepting me, uh, which, you know, could also be seen as approving or not approving. Um, and also deciding whether or not I'm worthy. Right. And this pushed me deep down into a hole of frozen, uh, childhood pain and hurt and released a tsunami of stuff. Um, and I'm very grateful because I don't want this sitting in there running a program in the back of my mind and my unconscious. And the more space I make for love and joy and bliss and unity consciousness and peace, um, the better I feel and the more I can be of service to the human collective and do this work that I love so much. So I, I guess I'll go back to the beginning. The reason those words were so particularly painful and triggering for me is that I was born to a mom who was 14. My mother was 14 when I was born in 1969. So you can imagine 
what that must have been like for my mom, for my family. Some of the circumstances around that, uh, I mean, just so much mm -hmm. dysfunction. But at the time, my mom lived, uh, my mom and my, my, her mother, my grandmother, my family, as it were, that I was going to be coming into, they lived in a trailer literally mm -hmm. on the banks of a swamp where gators came up to the porch. Um, after I was born, we moved to a nicer trailer park. <laughs> and then most of my, and this is not dissing trailer parks, okay, but you must understand that it is only in recent years that we don't just crap all over uh, that or poverty in general. And I mean, we still do. Um, we blame the poor for being poor. And I think we've all gotten to see over the last couple of years how messed up that is. But at any rate, here I am coming into the world uh, to what at the time would have been considered a trailer trash family, um, poor, other side of the tracks, literally from my birth father. He died six weeks before I was born. And I had a pretty severe birth defect that they said uh, was not going to heal without a bunch of surgeries and that I'd be in a wheelchair probably until I was 12. So I came into the world a poor, crippled <laughs> orphan. Um, of a teen mother. <laughs> so, let's say it out loud. It's just like, holy shit. I am so proud of myself for being me and doing all that I have done. Um, so there, like I, as far back as I can remember, I remember and I remember my early childhood really well, but even when we would go, um, since my father had passed, his family didn't really want to have much to do with my family, blah, blah, drama. Um, but I was always aware that I was unwanted and not meeting approval. When we went to the extended family on my side of the family, my mom, I mean, the, the father's side is my side too, but you know what I mean. The family I grew up knowing, let's put it that way. So when I went to my mom's side of the family, whenever my grandmother and I would be going to a family function or whatnot, there was the same disapproval, disdain, judgment, um, you know, the poor relations have come to dinner. Um, how can we shame them? And there was always that feeling, especially being an empathic child, just that feeling all the time of knowing that the other adults were having judgment and disapproval towards me. And it was my job to be as cute and adorable as possible, which I was anyway. I mean, truthfully, I was like a little Shirley Temple back then. And 
now I'm just like an adult Shirley Temple if she had stayed in showbiz. Um, but it, that was always there. Then we moved to California and moved to a wealthier town. And so I grew up in apartments. I was always in HUD housing, which for anyone who doesn't know that, that means that it is rent adjusted or rent controlled for people below the poverty line. Um, you know, there was public assistance needed a lot and just no matter where I went. I mean, if I was at school, my mom was the far too young compared to all the other moms. Um, hippie wearing a gauze dress and no bra so it was like perpetual and then my mom met my stepdad who was the only dad that I really ever knew in my life and his family was very big um his father was a doctor they were wealthy all of that kind of stuff and again it was five years of my mother and then me by extension trying to meet the approval of all of these people and being rejected. And ultimately, my mom wound up getting divorced from my dad. And then I spent another decade apart from him before I got to have him in my life again. That's a whole other separate story. He wanted to be participating in, in my life. It's not like he abandoned me. It was just a whole messed up a dysfunctional situation but there was still that you know I was 10 or 11 when they split and of course I thought that that was part of it that I just was not enough or not worthy that I no matter what I did I was always going to be the trailer trash kid the ghetto kid the, and by ghetto you know I mean um subsidized housing because that's how people referred to it and still do a lot of times. Um, so I was in that position up until I was 18. And then at 18, I had already worked hard in high school so that the day I graduated, I had a corporate job and started working my way out of poverty. And I worked so hard at it that my body was completely burned out by the time I was 33. Uh, and, you know, if I hadn't felt like I had to kill myself to prove myself to the world, perhaps that might not have happened. Um, it all turned out for the best because I got to be home with my kids. But I spent that time, you know, from like 18 to 24, um, digging myself out of poverty. I lived in my first actual house, as in a house that was not connected to any other buildings um, when I was 20, 22, 23. And that was a huge accomplishment. Um, and it just sort of went on like that. And then when I was, uh, you know, 30, 30 something bought a house and here I am along the way, I managed to make a considerable amount of money for someone who did not have 
a completed college education or anything else other than drive determination and some computer accounting courses in high school. Uh, and that theme continued. And so I forgot, like I literally just forgot, buried, pushed aside what that was like, what it was like to always be the outsider, always be the poor kid. Cause when I moved to the rich town, oh gosh. And you know, back in the eighties, especially when like preppy stuff was the big thing. And if you didn't have, uh, the right jeans or the right polo shirt or the right, right, whatever, um, you were an outcast. So I stopped doing extracurricular stuff and got a job after school when I was 14, 15 years old. I actually started working when I was 13, but formally at a place of employment, uh, I had to stop doing any extracurriculars so that I could have enough money to try to fit in, to be able to buy clothes that weren't embarrassing for me and to be able to be part of my peer group that I was in, in this wealthy town that I grew up in. So from my earliest memories, I mean, my earliest family memories was me feeling all of the Contempt, disgust, disapproval, blame, shame, guilt. Heaped on a child who just came into the world to love people. And I don't think I stopped feeling that way you know, probably until my mid twenties at some point. And I thought because I had done the things and I had worked so hard to climb my way out of poverty and distance myself from that as much as I could. And I mean, to be honest, I'm doing okay now, but I have been, since I became disabled when I was 33, it's been riding that pot poverty line <laughs> um, all along because that's what happens when you become disabled. You do not get upward mobility. You are given a, a, you know, a pittance of what you put into the system when you worked and um, you are not given enough to thrive. And I am much more fortunate than most because I made good money up until I couldn't work anymore. So my, um, what's the word I'm looking for? My fixed income is much better than a lot of other people who become disabled. So for instance, you know, I was, um, in a salaried position, making good money when I got disabled and have been for a long time. If I had been, um, doing one of the essential jobs, uh, or been an essential worker, not getting paid a fair, you know, a decent wage, a living wage, um, 
<clears throat> I probably could not. I mean, I definitely wouldn't be in my house. I wouldn't. There's a lot of things I would not have right now. Because the amount of money they give you is so small. So. I just forgot about how that felt. How it felt to be the ultimate other in every way all the time. And having things like. And I was very grateful to these organizations. Do not get me wrong. I was so grateful that the Lions Club and the Key Club, um, when I was like, uh, I think I was in middle school when they did this, but they would take, you know, the poor kids who got nominated um, Christmas shopping for their family and then have a big thing and like a big lunch or something, a big party. And there'd be a Santa and you'd get a present. And um, the thing I would be most happy about is that I got to get my family presents. But along with that came a certain amount of humiliation. Because it would be a thing where it was kind of like, like a field trip almost. And so people at school knew they knew that you were one of the poor kids and that you were going to do this thing because you were one of the poor kids and that felt shitty it felt super fucking shitty <laughs> thank you for witnessing my public uh therapy session Anyway, um, it is just criminal. It is criminal. The shame and guilt that is inflicted upon children. I mean, it's bad that it's inflicted upon anybody. That, that their worth is measured by where they live, how much money they have, how much food they have to eat for fuck's sake, how they look, what kind of clothes they wear. <clears throat> but to heap that all on children who have literally no control over it, and even in our acts of kindness, <laughs> take no measure to guard People's dignity. So here I am, an almost 53-year-old woman. I keep saying that because I really like that I'm turning 53 this year. Because uh, it adds up to eight. You know me and the whole infinity thing. Um, but I'm just now letting go. of a lifetime of shame and guilt and feeling unworthy of unworthiness.
being unworthy because I didn't have enough money or because I'm in a larger body or because I'm, I was poor or because I didn't have two parents. I barely had one parent. My grandmother raised me for a good portion of my life. So it was a lot. It was a lot. And I'm sharing it now partly because I guess I just need to get it out of me. And also because the more I talked with Owen yesterday and the more I thought about it, I was like, how many of us are there? And it makes me so sad, and but also makes me grateful because I understand why from such a young age, um, I was always the one wanting to organize the, you know, earthquake relief drives and um, fundraising efforts. And I threw Christmas parties for foster kids and I didn't pick them up at their fucking school. I'll tell you that much. Uh, you know, I, I did a lot of that stuff because I remembered and I had that experience. And the people that were kind and did those things, they didn't know that that was going to be at all a negative thing. They just didn't think of it. And that's okay. I was grateful because I got to meet other people and see normal. Or at least what normal was supposed to be. And it gave me the opportunity to see that there's more out there than the poverty I grew up in. And in the dysfunction that I grew up in. And that I could have something different. And that's part of why mentoring kids is so important. As soon as I'm done with my own, I plan to do that. Because when you are growing up in that situation and someone who uh, is living at a different level of prosperity takes the time to talk with you see you as a person, pay attention to you, it helps you understand that you can do that too and that you don't have to stay stuck. But what happens though is that poverty is generational and this is why it continues. And we like to blame, you know, we, oh, well, it's their own fault. They're not trying hard enough. That is a crock of shit you can't do something you've never even seen you can't find something you don't know is lost you know what I'm getting at so if you grew up in circumstances that were rough whether you, you know, had a broken family structure or you had food insecurity, housing insecurity, um, 
below the poverty line, whatever the case may be. Um, had a broken body when you came in that you would be judged for forever because you weren't doing enough to be like everybody else. Um, I just want you to know that I see you and that there may be more deep childhood sadness that you need to let go of. Because I know I obviously had some stuff in there. And I had so distanced myself from it that I just didn't even know. Because I don't feel like, and I'm sorry I'm using all of these negative words, but this is how I heard it as a kid, you know. It's only been the last five to ten years that we have nicer ways of talking about shit. So... Uh, I no longer feel like the poor crippled orphan, but that didn't let those feelings out that were so buried because of that shame and guilt that gets put on us mm -hmm. so early, so, so early. So I hope that this made me feel a lot better. So thank you, anybody who listened. And I hope if, if you are dealing with these kinds of feelings or you've had this sort of upbringing, this at least makes you feel seen and heard and maybe allows you to release some of that stuff that you may not even know is in there because it's so far in your past and you have changed so much as an adult person that you don't even remember truly what that felt like, what it really felt like to be unworthy in the eyes of the world. And even if you're in that situation now and you're feeling that way, if you are struggling financially or physically or however it is manifesting in your life, I want you to know that you don't have one single fucking thing to feel shame or guilt about. And you, just like me, you are worthy. And you are loved. And whatever this is that you're going through, you are going to get through it. And it'll be a whole lot easier for you to do it if you wrap up all of this crock of shit that the world heaped upon you and throw it away. Go in the shower rinse all of it off of you down the drain connect with Gaia and give it back to her go cry on her shoulder she's been large and in charge lately because a lot of us are healing things right now but allow yourself 
to let go of it because you have nothing to feel shame or guilt about. All of that is false. All of that is garbage. It is not our real worth, our true worth. Our true worth cannot be measured in productivity or dollars or costuming or degrees or any of those things. And if any of you need to talk about it, reach out to me. You know, my DMs are always open. I love you all so much, and I think this is just going to be a real quickie episode, because I I know when these things happen for me, I'm not just doing my own stuff, I'm doing macro healing, and that's why I come here to talk about it, because I know it's going to help more than just myself, and you know, if you know anybody else who's, maybe you personally don't have this kind of wounding or past or present but if you know someone else that does and you think this might help them maybe just share this episode silence is violence that keeps coming back to me over and over again that we just and that's part of this uh the divine feminine thing right now is that this is this is what sacred rage is it is expressing these gross injustices that have been lodged against beautiful loving consciousnesses that just came in the world to express themselves in their highest good and we're given a raw deal and a lot to handle and we should respect them I'm going to keep this one real simple and get it up there because this theme of childhood stuff and shame and guilt and releasing things is ongoing. And I wanted to just add on the end here that former guest of the pod, Brittany Porter with Soul Harmony, Harmony Healing uh, on her Instagram at Soul Harmony Healing is going to be doing an Instagram live with one of her friends and colleagues about shame and guilt if you would like a little more support releasing all of that and even if you don't catch that I'm pretty sure uh, it will be saved somewhere uh, maybe posted up on YouTube not positive but um, anyway you can go there to find out and um, I hope that you all let go of whatever's weighing you down at this point it's like you don't need to torture yourselves just say it somehow you don't even need to say it to another person necessarily record it write it down something because expressing it and getting it out of you just lets it go and it's an excellent time right now leading up to the closing of that 222-2022 portal um, to let that stuff go and to allow yourself to be unburdened and step into the spring all clean and fresh and shiny and new. Um, it's all about making space, more space inside for the things we want to experience by getting rid of the things that literally no longer serve us and are just 
garbage sitting in the corner that we may not even know is buried under, you know, grandma's precious quilt that we don't want to get rid of and want to keep forever. Enough with the analogies, lady. So without further ado, here's your outro song. And um, I love you all. And the next episode up will be an interview come hell or high water. Let's hope we don't get either of those. of sound.